The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 567 for Tuesday, August 25th, 2015. Greetings, folks, and welcome. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, tips, cool stuff found. We share your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. And together, our goal is to learn at least three new things each and every week that we get together. Our sponsors for this episode include Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Build a new website for yourself and build it beautiful. MacPaw, a new sponsor for this show. MacPaw.com slash MGG with Clean My Mac 3, a, a, a discount there. We'll talk about that as well as Casper at Casper.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG gets you 50%, 50 bucks, not 50%, 50 bucks off of a brand new mattress. We'll talk a little bit more about all of them shortly here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut. And I'm so giddy right now, Dave. Why are you giddy? Toy. Uh, the yes. new toy. This is John F. Braun. So, yeah, you're on a, uh, we'll talk a little bit about this. Uh, I guess we can talk about it now. So you are on a new mixer because as we mentioned last week, your old one broke and you are on the Yamaha AGO 6 that we discussed during the show. In fact, as a, a good new replacement for you, this is a podcaster specific mixer. And, uh, and sure enough, it's, it's working well for you. Really? Oh, yeah. okay. Because, um, I was getting kind of nervous because it arrived on my doorstep this morning and, uh, huh. I didn't like I... any good, <laughs> like, like any good geek. I, um, took the box, opened it up, pulled it out of the box. And, uh, you know, there's a, a I believe there's a manual that it comes with. Sure. And I was like, ah, who needs it? <laughs> so first I tried to hook it up, uh, using analog technology and, uh, that didn't work out too well. Only well, because that you didn't I, have I, the right I, cables, right? Right. I, I mostly have RCA cables, and I didn't have the right adapters and stuff like that. So I, I did take a picture of my setup on the old board, which, as, as far as I know, some of you may have seen this. I, might, uh, I actually did post a picture. There was one slightly bulging cap in the power supply okay. of the old unit. And I think I may entertain replacing it and seeing where it cool. will bring me as a backup. Sure. Yeah, so I got this new one. So, you know, I tried the analog route and then I'm like, no. And then the, the cool thing about this, Dave, is that this is a USB. So we are now totally digital here as far as audio is concerned. And then I, I, I have this plugged into my Mac. So I'm no longer plugged into the headphone or the line in ports. I am plugged in via USB into my Mac Mini. That's right. And that's how this, this guy works. And it has uh, some spiffy software. So it offers a lot of controls on the board itself. But then it has this awesome... As far as I can tell, pretty darn awesome software, which makes it like a virtual big boy board. Yeah. <laughs> it has all I, these controls. When I tested this, so we talked about this mixer for the first time, I want to say six months ago. I mean, it's been a while, right? Uh, but I, I was testing a, a pre-release version or at least a pre-shipping version. And uh, and when I tested it, the software didn't exist. So today was actually the first time I ran the software. I don't have a, one of those mixers here to run, but uh, but I was able to run the software and 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 sort of walk you through setting up uh, some compression on your end to smooth out the, the signal levels a little bit, which is nice because we've never had that on your end before. So, 
Um, so this is good. You know, the, my only concern, of course, is that it's a USB mixer, which means that it's reliant on the Mac for a lot of, well, for, for frankly, it working. And, and as longtime listeners to Mac Geek Gab know, USB audio has been the bane of our existence here. Uh, I am on, I'm back on a 10 year old Firewire mixer where I had the capacitors replaced in the power supply and the Mackie Onyx 1220. But um, Firewire is far more reliable for, uh, for real time audio production. And so, in fact, during pre show, we had a little problem. My audio to you, John, started coming in all stuttered. Which, of course, was something very familiar to to us here. And all you did was run audio MIDI setup, change the bit rate of the audio, which resets the USB interface, of course, and my audio smoothed out. So you might have to do that again while we record. But that's okay. It keeps it fun. Hey. Yeah. yeah. So thanks, Yamaha. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for helping us out with that, Yamaha. It's... um. I'm curious to see how this works out. And and I was actually really happy that you just took the initiative and set it up on your own because I've always been, you know, I've always been an audio geek. So anytime there's audio stuff, we just talk it through, but I, I like having you become more of an audio geek. That's a, that's a good thing. So I want to talk about our first sponsor for this show, John, which is Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. That's where you start. And the first thing you do is you pick out a gorgeous template. And the, I really mean it. Every single template that they have is gorgeous. It's uh, these folks really, really know what they're doing in terms of how to make your website look fantastic. And they really, they, it's just, they, they spend months on each of these templates so that you don't have to, you just get to go in and pick one. And it's fantastic. Uh, once you've got it picked, then what you do is uh, is that's it. That's the point at which you give them your name and all of that stuff. Right. And you create an account and you get 14 days for free to play and build your website. And then uh, when it's time to when it's time to buy, you're going to use coupon code MGG because that's going to save you 10 percent. Squarespace doesn't just let you build your website. They host it for you too. It's everything and it's all inside your web browser. You don't need separate software. You don't need anything except the thing that you use to browse the web already, which is your, your Mac and your web browser. And you just build it there. You can put new content in. They have some fantastic iOS apps. If you guys haven't checked these out, you must. I, I have done entire posts on my blog from my iPhone and, and it's not a chore. In fact, it's a breeze. And I can I can put them in draft or I can post them live. I can add all the stuff that I would normally add. It's just right there. They have a great separate app for stats because that's how, you know, iOS. I have this feeling. I have this belief that iOS apps should be purpose built. That You don't need kitchen sinks uh, on on iOS. You need separate apps for different things on the Mac. You want you want one app that just sort of encompasses everything that you would do for a certain thing. But on iOS, you want separate apps, and that's what Squarespace has done on iOS. They have a separate metrics app, a separate posting app, um, a separate notes app where you can actually just store stuff, uh, a separate portfolio app. They really they, they know what they're doing. You want to definitely check all this stuff out. If you've got a website or if you want to build a website, 
to do anything. Your own just blog. They'll import your stuff from WordPress if you're sick and tired of hosting WordPress, right? Just pull it in. You're good to go. All your content's there. You don't have to worry about losing it. The cool part is, I mentioned their templates. You want to change to a different view for your website? Pick a new template. Boom. That's it. Your whole website has changed. You didn't need to go and reprogram everything. It imports it all in. It, it, it's, it's not even import. It's just putting a new template over your existing structure. It's really quite beautiful. Got to check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Do us a favor. Tell us about your website. We'll tweet about it. We'll have some fun with it. So uh, tweet to us uh, at Mac Geek Gab on, uh, on Twitter, of course, and we will pimp your website out. Uh, if, you, if you send it to us on Facebook, we'll share it with our Facebook group, too. So, uh, so check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Build it. Build it beautiful. All right. You want to take us to Dan, please, John? I'm going to take you to Dan, Dave, because Dan has a tale of woe. He does. Well, hopefully we can help him out here. Sweet. So Dan says, hi, guys. Hope you are having a fantastic last few weeks of summer. And I am, and I think you are, Dave, back from your trip. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I've been plagued, not me, but Dan, has been plagued with an issue with his late 2013 27-inch iMac, 3.5 gigahertz i7, 32 gigs of memory, 3 terabyte fusion drive. I was hoping you might be able to point me in the right direction. And we will. Uh, in mid-August, I installed the OS X update 10.10.5, but it didn't work. When it came time for the computer to restart itself, it locked up. I eventually performed a hard reboot and retried the update. Still, same result. On August 16th, the day after, or two days after, I manually downloaded the update, which I think is a good move, and installed that, and it seemed to work better. However, since then, I've been getting regular lockups on the Mac. I'll sleep the display when I leave the console. Though the iMac itself never sleeps. Usually sometime in the next 24 hours, the computer freezes. I can tell this because when I come back to turn on the display, I'll see the arrow of the cursor for a few seconds, then the spinning rainbow wheel, which goes on and on and on. I can hard reboot again with no issues, but this is becoming troublesome as my iMac doubles as my iTunes server, which has my wife and kids in a tizzy. <laughs> I've looked at the console logs and haven't seen anything that jumps out at me. I'll attach them from when I believe it last froze up in case something jumps out at you. And the things that he's tried have been Onyx, uh, resetting permissions, rerunning scripts, all right, the maintenance scripts, I believe. Sure. Uh, rebuilding launch services, DYLD shared cache, XPC cache, Spotlight, et cetera. All right, which I think is also through Onyx. Um, deleted the boot cache as well and reinstalled OS X. Not, of course, erasing the hard drive, but just reinstalling it. I'd really like to avoid completely wiping out the hard drive and starting over as I have quite a few applications and other things set up just so. I'm hoping you may have some other ideas. And I have some ideas, Dave, and maybe you have some additional ones here. But based on my experience, Dave, here, what's happening is that it sounds like what's happening is um, what I believe, uh, what's referred to, at least in the system logs, as a system hang. And why do I call that a system hang? Well, the thing is, if you go to uh, slash library, so the top level library directory, slash logs, slash diagnostic reports. Now, what is this, John? I'm going to tell you what this is, is when the Mac has a problem, whether it be a kernel panic or a hang or other unfortunate events, it's going to hopefully, 
and almost always write a little log file into this directory. So you have to get to it. So you can either do that through the terminal or you can, uh, of course, do it through the finder. They have to navigate to that directory that I just mentioned. And what I would suggest is to look in to see if you have any entries that have a .hang at the end. And what are those? Well, those are hang reports. And they're associated with a specific application. So one thing you can do is, if you have any .hang files, see what app or application has generated that. And that can tell you which app you may need to whack and reinstall in order to get functionality back. A second tip for when you run into the situation, Dave, where your machine wakes up, or just if it's unresponsive, um, would be to hold down. So here is the uh, secret handshake for all you listening here, or the secret keyboard combo. There is a keyboard combo, command option escape. What that will do is it will bring up a little window showing you all of the running applications on your computer, on your Mac. But more importantly, it will show you applications that may not be running. Um, and well, it will no, typically it'll, be... It'll always show you, it'll only show you running applications, but it'll show you, it'll, it'll highlight the ones that, if the application itself has hung. Right. And what will happen is typically you'll be highlighted in red, last I checked, and it'll say not responding. So you could, rather than forcing a shutdown, uh, this is you know, not a, a, a total solution here, but it's at least a way so you don't have to force a shutdown. Because forcing a shutdown, which is usually holding down the power button and waiting about five seconds and the machine will shut down, that's something you really, really, really don't want to do on a regular basis because it's just, it's going to screw things up. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm curious on this one if, um, well, a couple of things. So... The machine is is not sleeping. It's it's hanging, but but somewhat responsive, right? Because you get to see the spinning rainbow and and all of that. So you, I mean, there's something going on, and then it's locking up. So I'm curious if, first of all, you can access it from another Mac. And this gets explaining how to do this in a in a podcast gets tough because we're talking a lot about the terminal, but. It'd be uh, first on that Mac going into system preferences and sharing and then turning on remote login. Uh, when you do that, it will tell you on that screen to log into this computer remotely type and it will give you something in quotes. Whatever's in quotes there, that's what you want to type on another Mac in the terminal and it will uh, prompt you for your password and then you can log into this Mac. That gets you into the terminal of, of this Mac remotely. I'm curious if you can get in there and, uh, and, and perhaps look at the, at the system log while this is happening to see what's going on. Um, at, at the very least, you can shut it down nicely from there with shutdown or sudo space shutdown space dash r space now. My favorite little trick from remote. Uh, but just something to, to see if, if you can even just get it re to respond, even if you can just log in, you'll know that it's it's not the entire system that's cratered at this point. Eh, but it it's tough. I, you know, um, I would I would do a couple of things. The first thing I do is I'd start up in safe mode. Uh, I wouldn't leave it that way, but starting up in safe mode does clean a lot of things. I know you've done some of that with uh, with Onyx, but starting in safe mode does quite a bit of it. So that that alone may simply solve it. If you just start up in safe mode and then come back around, uh, that that might do it. Uh, resetting the system management 
controller, SMC we call it, and also the PRAM with command option PR. That Command option PR does the PRAM. We will put a link in the show notes about how to reset the SMC because it's a little different on each Mac. But um, but that that would be the other thing to try. And, you know, this all started with the 10.10.5 update for you. So after doing all of those things, I would actually reinstall it on top of itself again, the 10.10.5 update. Uh, it's possible. Again. What's that? <laughs> again. Again. Yeah. Do it one more time again. Um, just because, you know, something may have happened there. But, but I think, you know, the fact that it locked up um, during the, the, the install and all that, uh, you know, either either the SMC or just the installation of the ten ten five update is is sort of where I now, would, where I would look for that. Let me let me ask you this. Um, so I guess you could you could apply the update one of two ways. One, you could do it where you download the installer as he, as he said he did, and then ran yeah. that. I guess the other way, and I don't know if it makes a difference which way. I mean, the other way is that you could go into recovery. And reinstall OS 10 from that. Well, Maybe. that's all of OS 10. Yeah, I was more thinking about just the, you know, just the 10, 10, 5 updater. But, uh, but recover. Yeah, I mean, if, if worse comes to worse, then yeah, I mean, there's recovery mode. In that, in that, that may be a more thorough reinstallation of the OS than the update, I guess is what I'm trying to suggest, right? <laughs> well, y- y- yeah, it gets, it gets weird doing it that way. Um, because you don't have all the updates there, but yeah, you can, um, it's not, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. What I'm trying to do is differentiate, uh, between a combo or Delta update and a recovery reinstall. And, and as far as I know, recovery reinstalling from recovery is the most thorough way to reinstall the OS. And it may... So, so I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking yeah. out loud here, but I'm yeah. thinking that that may be a final attempt. If you want a final attempt at reinstalling the OS, you may want to do it from uh, booting from recovery. Um, right. Which boots into, you know, its own world and then reinstalls on your, uh, on your, your, your uh, boot drive. Yeah. Yeah, it will. It will. Um, sometimes it does, does, but does recovery mode always have, I guess it does because it's going to download the installer over the internet. So it's, it's always going to have the latest, um, the latest stuff. Cause I think, yeah, that's I, right. you know, I had yeah. something similar happen where I tried to install a point update. It sat there. It, it just wasn't making any progress. I had to force shutdown. Things were wonky after that. And I believe a re- reinstalling from recovery did finally solve my problem. So I'm yep. going to offer that as a uh, final, uh, suggestion and of course we'll link to an article telling you how to do that if you have not yet done that because recovery is a wonderful thing it's a, it's a very nice feature that yeah. they added yeah try safe mode though that that's going to do a lot of maintenance yeah. to your system including a, a file system check which is uh, what was suggested by uh, jim in the uh in the chat room at com slash stream in our little chat room there yeah so thank you jim so yeah Safe mode, uh, safe mode can help quite a bit. So I, I, I highly recommend that. It just, like I said, it just does a lot on the way up and it can make a difference. So, 
Yes, indeed. And I am 99% certain. There's a little discussion in the chat room, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that in. Jim was questioning whether or not Safe Mode does a file system check, and I am 99% certain that it does. It does it before it mounts the file system read-only or read-write. So it is able to do a full file system check on the, um, on the volume, which is, which is a handy way to get that done without having to go into single-user mode and, and type some commands into the terminal. So, right. Well, that being FSCK, which is basically what I think it's running, but mm, sort of FSCK doesn't actually run FSCK. It runs FS HFS FSCK, which is Apple's own oh. thing about it. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's just how it works. But again, more than you need to know, right? At this point, <laughs> well, really, I mean, not not not. I mean, it's so FSCK is the name of the file system check program, but. I am pretty sure that on HFS plus volumes um, that FSCK actually runs Apple's version of FSCK underscore HFS, which is the thing that would be needed to, to fix an HFS plus volume and HFS plus is Apple's format uh, for, for most Mac volumes. Well, look at that. Well, I'm glad I prodded you because yeah. yeah so FSCK is the generic. It's generic. Yeah, correct. File right. system check, whereas what you just mentioned is is Apple's uh, version specific to their file system. Okay. Yeah. Is there a reason you wouldn't want to run regular FSCK? Well, I again, I think when you run that, it automatically runs FSCK HFS. I, I mean, oh. I think the OS just. I think that I think they're they're mapped to each other. So. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dan. So uh, hope we can get you out of your. Uh, yeah. Something's wrong. Hope we can make it right. Yeah, hopefully so. All right. Moving on to Cliff. I think Cliff has some interesting. Uh, well, let's see what he says. I currently have a two terabyte time machine drive that is backing up to my 500 gig computer. I also have a two terabyte drive that contains my photos and a two terabyte drive that contains archived data. What I want to do is have multiple instances of time machine run so that I can have my existing time machine backup do the same thing it is doing now. Have separate four terabyte drive to just back up my photo drive and another four terabyte drive just backing up my data drive. Is it possible to have three drives working in Time Machine backing up three external drives all working separately? If I can't do this in Time Machine, can you offer another app that will do the same thing? Well, the answer is Time Machine will allow multiple destinations, right? So you can set multiple destinations in Time Machine and it will round robin through them as long as they're all available. And that can be handy, A, if you want to have multiple backup destinations just to be redundant in one location or if you have a computer that you bring to several locations you could have a backup drive at work and a backup drive at home and have time machine configured for both and then when it goes to backup it picks whichever one is available however the source files the source selection criteria that time machine uses uh, or that you configure with uh, you know omitting certain things from backups will not change so you need time machine is one source set to one or more uh, backup destinations. So no time machine won't do what you want to do. And uh, that the source set is, as far as I know, your boot drive. 
Well, it can, but it can also be external drives. Uh, you know, external drives are are normally omitted, but you can add them in, or you can unexclude them, and then and then it will add them. Yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, All right. No, I see. Where, I see where you're going. I, I've never used it that way because I've always just gone under the assumption that what Time Machine does best is is backing up my boot drive to. An external drive, or actually multiple. And I actually tried this the other day, Dave, yeah. and it didn't really work out that well. <laughs> yeah, but but it will. Time Machine will happily back up any disks that are attached to your Mac. You just need to go into System Preferences, Time Machine, go into Options, okay. and then make sure that those drives are not excluded. And in most cases, they will be by default. So you just pull them out of there, and then it'll back them up, and you're and you're good to go. But that's not going to do what you're looking to do, Cliff. Because you want to do a little bit more. So you're going to need a separate backup app, a third-party backup app. Um, it, you know, Carbon Copy Cloner is, is, has quickly become my, one of my favorite backup apps because it's so flexible. You can do clones with it. You can do uh, just data set backups, folder backups. You have all kinds of options with it, and it's fairly straightforward to use. It schedules well. Others that work um, equally as well in most cases, super duper. Um, data backup from ProSoft is really quite configurable. So if you want to get really nuts, uh, data backup is is the way to go. And and then there's CrashPlan as well. CrashPlan is a is two things. It is a backup software, and it's also a backup service. Now the backup software can backup to a backup service, um, and you pay CrashPlan for that. But it can also backup either to you know destination volumes or to another CrashPlan setup. Uh, that might be a little more than you want to configure, especially if you just want all of your data local. CrashPlan really excels with sending data to other places uh, for offsite backups. But um, so I would I would look at Carbon Copy Cloner, Super Duper, or Data Backup. Probably probably in that order. Perhaps um, swapping the second two, but uh, Carbon Copy Cloner might be the one that you're looking for these days. So highly recommend checking that out, Cliff. Any thoughts, John? My initial, yeah, so I'm actually glad to learn that there are additional options with Time Machine that I haven't really dabbled with that much. I, again, I did try recently the uh, backup to two different destinations. Yeah. And, and if you do that, if you try to add a disk, it's like, well, do you want to replace the disk you're backing up to with this other disk? Or do you want to kind of bop back and forth? And I'm like, eh, let's try going back and forth. The, the, all I'll say is it didn't work out too well, and I'm still trying to figure out why. Okay, and then it took for it, it. It never seemed to finish the backup to the new volume that I introduced to the family. Got it. So I just kind of said, "Yeah, forget it." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I just say, I, 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 in my humble opinion or in my experience, Time Machine is great from backing up to a drive to another drive. Right. That's, it, it's really good for that. For things outside of that, I would. And yeah, as soon as I read this, Dave, I thought Carbon Copy Cloner. I, I love it to death. I use it. It is just so flexible, as you said. The, the yeah. other options are too, but um, but I've just uh, seen the product grow and you know threw down some cash for it and uh, use it on all my machines for uh, doing a you know bootable backup. I think it's great. So. Yeah, it, and it does more than that, right? I use it for my bootable backup, but also to copy my music library to another drive. Uh, actually, it copies it to my my. Synology, my, my NAS. Uh, I also, you know, I move all kinds of things around with, with carbon copy cloner. It, it works quite well. One cool thing is you can tell it when it's done with one, you can schedule things with it and you can tell a backup script when you're done with this one, 
do this next one. So if you want to have three or four scripts run once a day, you don't have to schedule all of them and anticipate when one is going to finish. You just say, start this one. And it just starts a chain reaction and goes through the whole thing. So it's really cool what they've done with it. Hey, I want to talk about our second sponsor, which is MacPaw. MacPaw makes a piece of software that, uh, that I actually have been using on my Mac for a long time called clean my Mac. They're up to version three. It, uh, it's one of those things that I've found pretty handy. One of my favorite things uh, with it is that it monitors my trash can and allows me to empty the trash on separate volumes independently. Whereas with the finder, I just go to empty trash. It doesn't tell me anything about what's there unless I dig, of course, in the finder, but it's going to empty all attached volumes simultaneously. Sometimes I don't want to do that. You know, sometimes I might just want to empty the trash on my boot volume, but leave, say, my music drive volume alone. Because if there's trash on that one, I kind of want to think about it. Like, why is there stuff in the trash on my music volume? Things shouldn't be deleted. So Clean My Mac is, is fantastic for, for that. Uh, because I can just dig and it, when I go to empty the trash in it, it shows me here's within the trash. You can sort it of course by, by size and, and, and all that good stuff. They uh, they've done a great job with it and, and it continues with, with clean my Mac three. That's uh that's, that's one thing you can do with it. You can do maintenance um, on your Mac with it, right? You know um, you can kind of clean up your, junk in the system it'll find duplicate files and show them to you if you want to delete them of course it will it'll show you junk in your photo library uh you can clean up mail attachments if you want it really just digs in and and lets you see all sorts of stuff that's there you can have it remove caches and log files that you don't want to keep around anymore uh you can have it here one thing that that i really like is i can have it find apps that i haven't launched in a long time. And I can sort by, uh, it sort of groups them. Like here's the things that you've launched in the last, you know, week, the last 30 days, the last six months, the last year, not in the last year. And so you can start to go through and say, Hey, wait a minute, I don't need that. And then it has an uninstaller. So not only do you remove the app, but you remove kind of all the, the collateral, uh, settings files and prep files and all that. If you want to, it gives you the option. It doesn't delete anything. You don't want it to, uh, Really cool stuff. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, on the surface, you know, when I saw it, I'm like, do I really need this? And it turns out I oh. installed it a couple of years ago and I have not looked back. And uh, like I said, I'm quite happy with clean my Mac three. No, oh. it, it is. It is ready for uh, for El Capitan, I believe. And uh, so it, it's good stuff. And here's the deal. If you visit MacPaw.com slash MGG, you get access to a special deal, 30% off. You got to go to that screen. That's where you buy from. And that's uh, 30% off. So clean my Mac three instead of being 39.95 us dollars, it is 27 97. So you're saving over 10 bucks right there. Great stuff. I highly recommend it. And I'm really happy to have them on board as a sponsor. Uh, I think I've recommended the software several times already. But uh, happy to be able to do so and uh, and have them supporting the show. So check it out, folks. MacPod.com slash MGG. 
They'll love you for it. We'll love you for it. Nice. And of course, we love them. For I love it too. them too. Yeah. What I like, Dave, just, just to close out, is that when you're using the software, they go into great detail explaining to you exactly what they're going to do at each step here. There's no mystery. It's true. As far as what their cleanup's going to do. And that's, yeah, I've been using it likewise. I think we, we ran into the meta uh, past Mac world and they're like, hey, check this thing out. And I'm like, yeah, again, it's like, do I really need this? And it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, these guys actually explain what they're doing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so there's no questions as, as to what they're doing underneath the covers uh, to, to make your system run better. So, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a regular user as well. Two geeks, four thumbs up. Backpod.com slash MGG gets you 30% off. Going over to Jack here. Jack, um, Jack is uh, heading in. Well, I'll, I'll read what he says. I've done some IT work for friends and family for 20 years now, and I, well, now I want to do it part time for real. I've heard Dave mention a show a while back that he used a waiver to ensure that if something went wrong with his clients, he wouldn't be sued. I was wondering if you guys have an example of such a waiver and what would be reasonable to include in such a waiver. I know you're not lawyers, but you are my two favorite geeks. And I know you've been doing this for a living at some point, at least, Dave. Yeah. So um, when I did this personally, meaning when it was just me doing consulting, uh, I did not use a waiver. And if I were to head in and do that again, I probably would not. Uh, when we had Computer Nerds, which was the business that uh, I helped run down in, in Austin, Texas, and they actually grew quite big and they were in Oklahoma and a couple other states as well. Um, we did eventually use a waiver. You know, the weird part about a waiver is you're walking into somebody's house. They've obviously called you or, you know, set up an appointment with you. You walk in and uh, you... Now, the first thing you do is give them a piece of paper that that they have to read. And a lot of the things that we put into that waiver were, I understand that there's a risk of losing my data. And I agree that I've backed everything up. Similar to what the Apple store asks you to sign, right? You know, I know that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be respond that I'm, I'm not going to hold Dave responsible for, or Jack in this case, responsible for. Uh, losing any data during this process because it's possible that things could, could go wrong. Uh, and, and, and that, and it does make sense to, to cover yourself that way. And you can kind of make it funny and, and, and personable so that it doesn't feel so cold, but you are asking them to sign a thing saying, yes, I, I allow, you know, uh, Jack to work on my computer and, and, and you can make it work. I, I never felt the need to do it, but I did protect myself by creating an LLC. Uh, I think Jack's from Canada. So I think in that sense, uh, you'd have to incorporate yourself um, creating an, and I don't know what the, the costs of that are um, both the one-time startup cost. And then, and then of course uh, annually, you've probably got some sort of tax burden for that. But with an LLC here in, in the U S it's very, very easy to set one up. You can do it for just a couple hundred bucks. Uh, you can do it online. at something like biz filings. In fact, I highly recommend, you know, I do a couple other podcasts and uh, uh, one of them is, is called the small business show. And uh, it's at businessshow.co is our URL. And we talk a lot about this kind of stuff, just kind of running your own business. So uh, I highly recommend you, you, you check that out. And yes, I'm plugging myself here, but, but if th- that's where we've gotten a lot deeper into some of these things. But create an LLC for yourself if, you, if you're in the U.S. And, and that's an option or find what option that is in your country. It, it, the LLC stands for Limited Liability Com- Company and or Corporation. And that 
will protect you from say losing your house. If something happens and, and someone sues you now, if you intentionally commit negligence, it doesn't matter what kind of corporate veil you have. You can be personally liable and it doesn't matter who you are. You could be the CEO of a, you know, fortune 500 company and you're still liable if you intentionally commit negligence or fraud or anything. But you know, if accidents happen and all that, but really, you know, my, when I, when I was doing consulting, my thing was just explaining everything to the client before we did anything. And yes, accidents happened. Um, I, I had one client where I ruined her computer. It was an old, um, uh, I, I can't remember. I think it was an SE or an SE 30. So it was the all in one kind of Mac and we were going to put Ram in. And I told her, I said, I got to be honest with you. Getting to the RAM slots on, I think it was an SE30 on this, requires digging in, and it's possible. This hasn't been opened in a while. It's an older machine. The, uh, the, um, the, the back of the, the CRT tube was really exposed on that. And if you just pushed on it the wrong way, it would, it would crack and, and break the seal on the CRT. I said, it's totally possible that this is going to happen. And she said, okay, I understand. And so we opened it up and went to put the RAM in. And sure enough, uh, the CRT popped. And I looked at her and I said, did you hear that sound? She said, yeah. And I said, that was it, you know. And uh, and she knew I was being as careful as I could be. But, uh, you know, these older machines, the glass gets brittle. And, and that's just how it goes. And I actually wound up selling her my old computer. Um, but, again, you know, again, I, I, I relate this story because it comes down to having a relationship with your client. And it's easier when you know them for a longer period of time. But you can start that relationship when you walk in the door, be cordial and uh, and really explain everything you're doing to them. That that explanation process can help a when things go wrong, but also it can kind of help you talk out the problem. And oftentimes I found myself explaining something to a client that probably wasn't going to understand most of what I was saying anyway. But the process of explaining it and trying to translate it into human uh made me realize something in the, you know, about the problem. It was like, Hey, wait a minute. That, that gives me an, uh, an idea and I would fix it and we're good to go. So, um, so that's a long way of saying you got to decide what you want, how you want that interaction to be and how protect, how you want to be protected, but you don't necessarily need a waiver, but I do highly recommend doing some sort of corporate structure and protection. One thing I will point out here, and then we'll leave the rest for the, the small business show that I do business show.co um, is this an LLC in the U S if it is, if you are the only member of an LLC, you are treated like a sole proprietor for tax purposes. You still have the liability protection, but for tax purposes, you're not treated as a partnership. You're treated as a sole proprietor. This is a relatively new thing. Last, I don't know, 10 years or so. If you add one more person to that LLC, then you get to be a partnership. And that person does not have to be someone that, that is on the books to take any profits out of it. They can have a, you know, uh, basically a, a zero ownership stake it can be 1% and 0% of the profits. But uh, but it's a it's a safer way to or it's a it can be a tax advent advantageous way to do it. So talk to your accountant about that. Anyway, that's um, let me go ahead. I yeah. do want to pick your brain a little bit here. So I want to offer maybe some advice unwarranted. But sure. One, I want to ask you a question here as far as insurance. Is, is there a particular type of insurance that you should get or does that come with having an LLC? So say you destroy someone's computer that has a million dollars worth of 
irrecoverable data on it. Yep. Uh, I mean, is there special insurance that could cover you in that case? There is. You can get business liability insurance. Uh, okay. It's going to okay. be, and it's a good question, right? It, it's going to be different in each state. Um, mm-hmm. be, you know, so you've got to find a, an, an insurance provider in your state because insurance law is a state by state thing. Of course, there's some federal mandates about it, but but each state kind of has their own little things. And so, if you wind up working in different states or in in Jack's case in a different country, you know, you, you've got to talk to an insurance company. Or even better, I highly recommend finding an insurance agent that you can trust. And and I and I know that there are some out there that have made the entire profession look slimy, but insurance agents are your one of your best friends like them and your accountant man uh, and and potentially your lawyer if you if you wind up growing your business to a point where you need one that those are the the people that are going to keep you sane and uh and and that's the you know obviously your insurance agent would be someone to talk to about about getting some business insurance uh because that's that yeah absolutely again i never had it um, I did have an LLC, right. which, well, and, and so my liability by not having insurance was that my business assets and profits were exposed, right? If I, mm-hmm. if I lost somebody's data and they decided to sue me, right. And, and that's, that's the difference, right? And my, I was banking on my customer service skills to keep people from suing me, even when I screwed them up and I didn't screw people up often. I mean, obviously, you know, that was never the goal, but accidents happen and, and just unforeseen things happen, even if it's not an accident. Um, so, but I, but I never got sued, but it would have been, you know, my business profits. It was for me at the time. I don't, I don't think I ever really did it full time. I mean, it, it could be argued I've never done anything full time or at least not in a long time because I've always had multiple things going. So it wasn't like my entire livelihood was exposed by doing that. Um, and Jackson, the same thing. He said he's doing it part time. So I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat the insurance thing necessarily. But it, it's a it's a great question to ask and and, you know, and to reevaluate as you as you kind of think about it. Good, It's a good question. OK. And then the one reflection I have, and maybe you and I have discussed this before, but yeah, in, in uh, I've done a bit of consulting as well, and I think the best thing to do is that from the onset, you and the person that you are doing business with, you are, it's you and that person versus the problem. Totally, dude. That's that's. It's not. It's yes. not you versus them, and that you are somehow. No, no, no. You and I, we're going to solve this problem together. I'm going to help you solve your problem. And, and you detach the problem from the process because if it's, yes, if you start off as a conflict, because I, I had one very early in my career, very, very one confrontational where the person kept saying, well, you, you made a mistake, you, and I'm like, well, well, no. And again, I was young and foolish, Sure, but, uh, but no, it, it got personal. It was like, well, no, you caused the problem here. And I'm like, well, no, I helped. I tried to help you solve your problem and right. you kind of destroyed what I did to solve your problem. And, and it got very personal. Again, I was rather unsophisticated at that point, but, but, but as long as you set it up where you're coming in and you are a team trying to solve this problem. And if things don't go right, it's not necessarily you that 
<laughs> yeah, I always said, and you're totally right. Um, I always said I had the benefit not only of doing this myself, but then training other people to do it. And training really is one of the best ways to to learn what your craft is really about, right? Because you know, you're when you start explaining it to people, you, like I said, you start realizing things. And uh, and I always said, yeah, we're not going out and being paid to solve problems. We're going out and being paid for our expertise. And that expertise might be sitting down, getting in front of the computer, learning what's going on with it, and then deciding, hey, it, this isn't worth fixing it. You know, you, you, you're going to spend too much money on me to do that. Now, the, the way to make it work once you get there is by starting ahead of time and saying to the client and explaining everything to the client. OK, great. You know, I'd have them sit down and show me the problem. And then I'd say, okay, now we'll try this. And here's why I'm trying this. And if I really was at a crossroads, like, well, I could try, you know, step A next, or I could try, you know, step B. And I would explain both of them to the client and say, I don't know which is the right solution. That's part of troubleshooting. Uh, if it were my computer, I would choose step B because, but I, then I, then I, then it's out of my hands. And I would say to them, which, which, which do you want me to try? And if they said, no, I think, I think step A is the right thing. I would do it a, because they're the ones paying me and, and I've already given them my advice. So at that point, my opinion is no longer uh, relevant. It's not my computer. I've said what I would do if it were. And then that's that. So giving, giving them some involvement in it, but also I found that clients, people, people tend to know a lot more about their computers than they, than they realize or than they, than they think. And a lot of times their gut reaction you know, you might explain both things and they'll say, no, you know, I think you should do path A because that reminds me of another thing I saw. Right. And, but even if path A is wrong, uh, at least they've been part of the process and, and you've been teaching them through it. So when you get to the end and you say, okay, well, we just spent 45 minutes on, on that particular, you know, wheel spinning exercise. Do you want to try, you know, path B now or, do we punt and we're done? You know, I mean, at some point you just got to punt because you're not going to spend, you know, thousands of dollars to fix a thousand dollar computer necessarily. Yep. You know, I, yep. yeah. It's yet, you know, I got, I got to mention this last Go. thing because it was, yeah. it was, it was someone that both you and I know, I won't mention her name, but she, she brought up this case and I think she may have emailed you and, and, and me on this, but uh, sure. she had a case where she was like, uh, I offered my services to someone It's someone who does regular things. And, and the, uh, client uh, offered a pushback on the fee saying, well, I don't think I should have paid you for the time it took you to research how to solve this problem. And I think to your point, you're paying me for my expertise. And sometimes I don't know everything. You don't know everything. Right. And I think it's perfectly reasonable for you to pay me for the time that I spent to research on how to solve your problem. And the thing is, she was, you know, very concerned that this person was pushing back and and eventually we said you know you just got to explain it saying look this is just how it happens nobody knows everything and sometimes you got to pay me for my time and my expertise sometimes i don't know everything and you have to pay me to learn for the time to yeah. research how to solve your problem yep. and, and she got back and and explained it very thoroughly and and very politely to this client and the client said um you know what you're right yeah I will pay you for the couple of hours. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Rather it was. than destroy yeah. our relationship, I'm I'm going to pay you for the couple of hours. 
even though I initially didn't want to for, for the time that you spent and you did solve my problem. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, that, that's, that's right. It's, but it, you know, again, it's about that whole customer service thing. And, and frankly, that was when it's part of the reason I don't do that anymore. Now, I, I actually really love consulting. And the only reason I don't do any consulting right now is because I'm able to sort of, you know, enjoy that part of my brain doing this particular show. Right. If, if I didn't have this show, I would I would be out doing consulting because I like solving problems. I like doing this kind of stuff. But um, but the reason I stopped doing the, the computer nerds thing where we had other people doing it is it was very frustrating to not be able to have people learn to do it the right way. I, this is sounding very egotistical. And it and I never found anybody as good as me in the field. Um, maybe I just didn't hire that person. I found some really good people, <laughs> but, and, and I found some really good people. Actually, I found there, there was one guy totally different style than me. I would never treat clients the way he treats clients and he would never treat clients the way I treat clients, but he was extremely successful at it, but it was just like one person, you know, and it was really hard to find people. You either actually, we found some good people, but, there was no way to train someone how to you either have the, the customer service in your blood or you don't. It's really hard to convince someone who has a lot of technical expertise that your job is not about your technical expertise. It's about how well you can interact with customers. It was really hard. I, and, you know, I, and I, I like I said, I found some people. I wasn't the only one, but it was it was very frustrating. And the problem was once a client got to know me. Even if I passed them off to someone who was really good, they never wanted that person. They always wanted me. And so it, it was very frustrating. I couldn't clone myself. And it was, you know, that whole process of trying to get other people to do it was just frustrating. So I, I got out of that business. I figured I'd go into a business I didn't know anything about, like selling ads on the Internet. And, uh, and that was much better for me. Well, all I know is if I can't figure it out, you're the first person I go to, Dave. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's other, there's other people out there that do this. I, like I said, we just, you know, it was, it was hard to train. Um, I was, I was no good at training people to do the, uh, the customer service side, I guess that's what it comes down to. So I don't know. Anyway, anyway, there we are. What we got? Anything else on this one? Next. I don't know. No, we went on longer than I, think we wanted to or yeah. planned to but yeah. no it's a it's a good discussion because uh i've i've entertained uh going back into that mm -hmm. you know i'm still still hoping for a, a full-time software engineer kind of gig and uh that may be on the horizon who knows but, yeah i love like i said i love the consulting thing it's a lot of fun um you know one part of, one part about it if anybody's thinking of going into it, it you know um ask yourself because I mean, I've all, everything I've said is true. You're, you're out there with your expertise. You're not selling solutions. However, there's few things that feel as good as walking into a, a home or an office where the computer's down and there's a, you know, everybody's reliant on this and they want you to save the day and you come in and you fix it and you actually save the day. That's a pretty rewarding thing. You know, uh, yeah, they pay you for it. And, and I mean, that's good because, you know, you got to eat, but, um, but being able to help people and, and really seeing, you know, how happy it makes people to, to fix things that, that was one of the best parts of it for me. I really love that being able to help people. It's part of why we do this because we, we love being able to do it. So with that in mind, maybe we should jump to, uh, 
to Tannel and share some of your tips. Tannel said, uh, well, he learned a valuable lesson that we're going to share with you. This is a warning about screen cleaning. I cleaned the screen the way I always have, and this is what happened. It seems that anti-reflective coating has simply been scraped off by the cleaning agent I used. I'm pretty sure that it's the cleaning wipes that I tried to use. And uh, it was a stupid idea, but my curiosity got the best of me over my common sense. And he did. He sent in a picture where the left half of his, uh, his IMAX screen just has some streaking on it that he can't make go away. Uh, I've seen this before. Pretty much any computer in an office building where I either worked or, you know, consulted or whatever. If it if the office building is big enough to have an after hours cleaning crew, the anti-reflective coating was gone after the first day on every computer. Because what would happen is they'd spray Windex on, on the windows and clean those. And then they'd see a dusty computer screen. They'd spray Windex on the computer screen and clean that. And they would clean the anti-reflective coating right off on day one because Windex is like one of those terrible things. So, yeah. Well, it's not terrible. It's no. great for cleaning windows and stuff, but the totally. problem is it has, I, I believe the thing is, is that it has, um, is it either ammonia or chlorine? No, I think it's ammonia, right? Or yeah, it's ammonia. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's some abrasive or not abrasive. Well, I guess it's abrasive. Well, it's something that's great for cleaning windows, but, Correct. but doesn't interact favorably with anti-glare coating. So yeah, you definitely don't want to use window cleaner. Yeah. For cleaning your Mac screen, at least one that has an anti-glare coating, one, Which one is, that's clear. Yeah, like well, all of mine. them have anti-glare coatings. Not, I'm not, I'm not, well, I'm talking about the, 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 I mean, they all have some sort of coating on them. Even, even the, the, you know, the, the matte screens, if you will, they've all got stuff on, or they, sorry, they're, well, they're reflective would, screens. They've, they've all got stuff well, I on would, there. Well, I would tend to disagree, at least on my MacBook Pro where I got the uh, non-matte screen. As far as I can tell, this is just glass. Yeah, it's got something on it, though, I bet. I I mean, I, I yeah, it's got to. You think? Yeah, huh? I, I would treat it. Well, let me let me let me put it this way. I would treat it yeah. like it does. I would not use Windex on it. Right. I really. Uh, the best no, I, I have never. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I agree with you. And I have used either, uh, I guess, one of the things, you know, we've gotten the handouts here. I clear is one. And, sure. and there's certain uh, there's a couple of other cleaners that are advertised for use on computer screens and you should listen to them because they explicitly say we do not have any corrosive you know nasty chemicals which again for cleaning glass is great ammonia and all that 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 that's great for cleaning glass you know you know cleans off all the gunk it evaporates and then everything's great but for computer screens especially with any sort of coating yeah they're nasty okay, yeah go on yeah no that's it use use water i, I use a microfiber cloth and uh, and water. And that seems to be the all I need. You know, I just I and what I do is I actually wet the microfiber cloth itself and and I use two cloths, one to one to wet the screen and, and clean all the gook off it. And then one to dry the screen and, and you know, evaporate and pull the water off. And, and that seems to work really well for me. Okay. That's my I, I have two. All right, so I have two things to add. So one I have, I think it's it's called iClean. We've received them, you know, as handouts at various shows. And yeah. on occasion, I have a bottle of that. I use that along with a microfiber cloth, and that works great. So that's good yeah. for cleaning gunk off. I have another one that's like a, you know, hippie tree hugger, environmentally friendly one. I don't have it in front of me. I, you know, I'll, I'll dig it up here and post a, a link to it. But that's another one that does great. But the, um, 
The other thing I want to mention here, Dave, though, is that there has been mentioned by some people, and so I have a Mac Rumors article here. Okay. Retina MacBook Pro users complain of anti-reflective display coating wearing off. You may. Yep. Our listener may be running into a situation where Apple may have used a substandard or done a substandard job of applying this coating to screens on certain computers. Sure. Um, and I also looked up the coating that he mentioned, or, or I'm sorry, the cleaner that he mentioned, of, uh, I believe it was an Italian company. So I, I believe he's overseas. Um, so number one, they advertise and they say, you know, when you clean your screen, do it gently. Now I'm not going to suggest that our listener, you know, brutalize the screen. Um, no, I'm not going to do that, but you may want to check with them as well. I mean, maybe you can get something out of these guys. I mean, you could say, hey, guys, I'll use your stuff and look at my screen. It's a wreck. Can you can you cover this? Uh, some places may offer to reimburse you. It, it's worth a try. Yep. I agree. I mean, they advertise. They say, hey, you, you know, our cleaner is fine for all computer screens. And then you show them and say, look, dude, look what your stuff did to my screen. <laughs> yeah. So number one, you may want to go to Apple and see if maybe they have a repair program or maybe there was a problem with your particular model of computer. Or number two, again, go to the vendor of the cleaner that you use that claim to be great and say, hmm. Yeah, right. If it's a if it's a cleaner that's built for computer screens. Absolutely. Yeah. If it's Windex. And it was. It, yeah, it, it yeah. said, yeah. I mean, it even came with a cloth and, and said, hey, this is for computer screens. So go to them and say, hey, guys, your, your stuff. Uh, yeah. It didn't clean. Can't hurt. Can't hurt. So uh, I just got back from uh, from camping for four nights, John, and I was Fun. never happier to sleep on a nice, well-made foam mattress than I was last night because uh, we were comfortable, comfortable on our tent, but not that comfortable. And uh, and I want to tell and, and it, it really makes me happy that I get to tell you about Casper today, which is uh one of our sponsors for this show. Casper.com slash MGG is the place that you go. These folks are obsessive as all good business people should be about delivering you a quality high, super high quality mattress at what they call a fair price. I call it an awesome price. Um, I appreciate them calling it a fair price because it is a fair price for that mattress. You just can't get any other mattress for that price that they're all far more expensive and uh, I, what these folks at Casper have done is, is, is fantastic. So these are foam mattresses, right? Uh, foam mattresses have been around for a while, but the, the, the concept of them has, has uh, been, well, it's, it's, it's been an iterative process because just foam is really comfortable because it changes and, and molds to your body, but it can get really hot. Because the foam doesn't let you, you know, let you breathe or you let your skin breathe. And, and so it gets really warm. Well, what the folks at Casper have done, of course, is they've engineered a mattress that not only uses uh, memory foam at the core to do that very comfortable thing and support your body really well. But it also uses a latex foam in a layer around it. And the latex helps cool you. So you get this really comfortable mattress that doesn't get hot and sweaty or anything. It and and they have engineered the perfect mattress. You don't need to worry about do you want it hard, do you want it soft? Just get the Casper one because it's the right amount of sink, the right amount of bounce, the right amount of coziness, 
really, really brilliant what they've done. But here's the thing. You don't have to take my word for it. Take your word for it. Take your body's word for it. And you don't have to take your body's word for it in, say, the five minutes you might get in a showroom somewhere. What you do is you order your mattress. They ship it to you in this beautifully, again, obsessively engineered box. The box fits through all your doorways. When you open up the mattress, it comes with a little opener so that you don't rip the mattress. Everything is perfect. It makes it super simple. Takes you about two minutes to remove this thing from the box and you can lay down on it. And you can lay down on it for a hundred nights to make your decision. So let's say you lay on it for one night and you're like, I'm not sure. That's okay. Lay on it a second night. Lay on it 15 nights if you like. Because it takes a little while to get used to memory foam if you've never done it before. Uh, But you'll love it. Just in case you don't love it, you have a hundred nights to figure out whether you don't like it and send it back to them for all of your money back. All of it. There's no hidden fees. They come get it from you or they arrange to have it come get. They don't, they don't like send out the CEO to come pick up your mattress. That would be inefficient. They have, they have a process for this, but effectively they come and get it from you. You're done. That's it. All set. hundred day free trial, highly engineered memory foam mattress, super fair prices, 500 bucks for a twin size mattress, 950 bucks for a King Other prices are in the middle, but here's the deal. I told you we had a deal. 50 bucks off if you use coupon code MGG and you get free shipping. So King Mattress, 900 bucks in your house. Well, they deliver it to your door. You've got to bring it in your house. It'd be a little weird if, uh, if you had the, you know, the UPS guy like walking into your bedroom, that might be, that might not be appropriate. So you bring it into your bedroom. They bring it to your house. If you need it to go away, because you don't like it, you get all your money back. That's it. Check it out. Casper.com slash MGG is the place to start. That'll walk you through the whole process, including reminding you to use the, the MGG coupon code to get 50 bucks off. You got to check it out. Casper.com slash MGG. Thanks so much to them. And thanks to you. Let us know what you think about those mattresses. We like them. We want to know what you think too. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know what I think, Dave? I mean, is it really camping if you bring a mattress? Come on, man. I brought, I, we slept in a tent <laughs> Uh, we used an air okay, mattress. Okay, that'll give you a... Th- we, we, used it, we didn't bring a Casper mattress t- camping because that's sort of impossible. Uh, I mean, not impossible, but no, we, we slept on a... We put an air mattress inside our tent and uh, we put sheets on the, the air mattress because it's summer. You don't really need a sleeping bag. Okay. Although it, it was actually nice and cool at night. We were over in, in Watkins, Watkins Glen and, uh, and up in upstate New York. It was gorgeous, actually. It was perfect. But yeah, we were in a tent. We were camping. I, I'm, I, I will argue that point all the way through. I, I, I mean, what do you, what do you want to sleep on the ground? That's, that's crazy talk. Why? We have air mattresses. Me, we're that's civilized camping. people, dude. We're civilized people. We camping is civilized. Camping. <laughs> camping yeah. is roughing it, man. Fighting against the elements. So here's, here's a, here's a, okay. So, but we were, we were camping. We, we were in a tent, uh, you know, sleeping in a, effectively a field. Um, but we did VIP camping, uh, and really the reason we did VIP was twofold. There's many amenities to VIP, but the, the big ones are real bathrooms. So mm-hmm. that's that better than having to use a porta potty. Don't all have the to time. dig a hole. Co- okay. Correct. Okay. Right. But real bathrooms, real showers. That's important when you're there for like four days. And mm-hmm. 
And right next to, we, we went to a, 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 a music festival. This was a, the band fish, right? So they had this festival called Magna ball. And, uh, when you get do VIP camping, your camps campground is right next to the, the, the concert venue. So actually literally the backstage area was next to us where we happened to wind up camping. We saw the band walking around all the time, you know? Sweet. Yeah. So it, what it meant was that like when the band took a set break, we were able to go back to our campground. I mean, we didn't have to hike 15 minutes to get to our campground. It was like a two minute walk, which was, which is cool. So that's why we did it. But this time they, they did some extra stuff <laughs> And and this, I agree, is not camping, but it, yet it was. They had a concierge there. It, 24 hours a day, there was a little tent of people. <laughs> but here's the thing, dude. One of the things they had in the concierge, and this is bringing it back to the show, is, um, I mean, they had all kinds of stuff. Like, I needed shampoo. I could have gone all the way to the general store, which they had on the grounds. They built a general store. They build like a city when they do these festivals. It's amazing. But that was far away. I, I forgot shampoo. I asked the concierge. And they're like, actually, Lisa asked the concierge. I, I should give her credit for thinking of this. And they gave her shampoo. Um, but what they had there was little two, you know, basically 2000 milliamp hour battery packs at, that they would loan you. You give them a $10 deposit and they'd loan you a battery pack and you could bring <laughs> it back once it was depleted and they give you your 10 bucks back or another battery pack. Or if you didn't want to bring it back, you just keep it and you just bought a battery pack for 10 bucks. Uh, I didn't need those cause we have a ton of battery packs and we charged them all up and, uh, and you know, before we left and, and it was good to go. There's something beeping in the background for you, John. I don't know what that is. Is that you or yeah, me? And I can't tell it to shut up. It's my phone with an incoming call for FaceTime audio and my audio is off, but it's hit, hit the, uh, hit the, hit the volume down button on that. That should stop <sighs> the, the beeping. Yeah. So there's a, there's another tip that, that didn't stop it. Right. Oh no, it's the computer. Oh, hit decline. Yeah. That's your problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's always good stuff. But yeah, it was um, that that part of it was was actually a really nice touch because everybody has a phone. You need to keep it charged. I brought I brought I don't know, I think eight different battery packs that we just kind of burned through, you know, each night we'd charge it while we slept and it actually worked out fine. Hey, um, Dave has a good tip to share with us. So we're going to we're going to share Dave's tip here. Dave says in Mac Geek Cab 566. There was a brief conversation about Apple Music with John saying he probably will drop it and Dave saying he likes it, but it, that it's also mostly good for the streaming music folks. I've tried Apple Music and I'll stick with it for two reasons. One is that I love the Apple curated playlist that gets suggested for me. I've discovered a great, a, a lot of great music with those playlists. And I'll actually agree with that, Dave. We were listening to, to a bunch of them. We had an eight hour drive each way going uh going to that music festival this weekend and we listened to a lot of curated playlists and they were they, it, it you're right they they pick the right ones for you expose you to some new stuff play some familiar stuff and do exactly what you would want them to do it's good dave continues but the second reason the critical reason is the ability to save those streaming playlists and also streaming albums for offline playback why I work long hours in a cube farm and I listen to my music with in-ear headphones to help drown out the noise from the other cubes so I can focus. The company blocks streaming music services from the Wi-Fi and also file sharing services. So the only music I can listen to is what is already stored on my phone when I walk in the door. Apple Music isn't just for streamers. Thanks to the make available offline feature, it's also for the bandwidth impaired or access blocked folks. And you're right. You know, if you're just streaming music uh, especially 
I mean, you've got a, a, an interesting, you know, firewall issue at work, which makes sense. But if you're on mobile, like we were in the car, you're either burning up your mobile bandwidth, the streaming music, which is actually what we were doing this week. Cause we didn't really think about a lot of that ahead of time. Um, but you can save that stuff offline and it makes a big difference. Now here's a trick that I'm going to tell all of you on your iPhone. If you go to my music and you're either in library or playlists, uh, but let's say you're in, in library, uh, you will see kind of the, the, at the top of the screen on your phone is a, uh, a kind of a, a cover flows type view of, of several album covers. And then below that is the view that's either artists, album songs, music videos, genres, composers, compilations, depending on what you've chosen. You can tap that. It's got a little carrot and you can choose other things. But here's the trick. If you tap on that, look at the bottom. There is a slider here that says show music available offline. This is really handy. You click that. Now you're only going to see things. Even if you're still connected to the internet, you're only going to see things that you can play locally that won't use your bandwidth. It's really handy. Obviously, if you don't have a connection, then it's only going to show you what you have available offline because it's offline or it, it might show you some stuff and, and gray out stuff that's not available. So you slide that slider. It only shows you what's available offline and you are in good shape. Cool stuff, right, John? Did I lose you, John? I guess. Okay. All right. You're back. No, I'm okay. here. Cool. I'm with you. Hey, does your new mixer have a mute button? I didn't even think about that. Like if you have to cough or something. Uh... <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> I guess not. All right. Well, I haven't. Uh, I, I uh, actually, the, the lights are getting dim. I can't quite see right now. Well, <laughs> I'm sure it does. I mean, any, any mixer that's worth its salt must have a mute button. I don't but know I just about don't that, know man. where it is because like I told you, I didn't, I didn't read the manual. Right. I don't know. Right. I don't think it does. Um, I was looking at pictures of that, man. Well, it would be on the channel, right? It would be on the channel strip. I don't think it does, man. I mean, it might. I don't know. What do I know? I don't have it in front of me, but I, I was looking at pictures of it before. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to look again. But I don't think it does. Maybe it does. though. It should. I agree with you. All right. Where are we? Oh, oh here we go again. Well, at least you know how to turn it off now. Hey, uh, speaking of being online and out and about, you're going to fix that. Otherwise, I'm going to mute you from here because I got a mute button for you. No, I just, right. I hit decline on the Mac. No, it's the Mac that's making the noise. Right. The phone wasn't right. making the noise. All right, of a sudden right. I realized, oh, my Mac, due to handoff. Which is wonderful, unless you're doing a podcast, then don't realize that. Well, that's that's not handoff. Your, phone, your Mac will ring for FaceTime even if, even if your phone's not around. Though it's weird because this computer is not, which is logged into the same uh, account. So actually, I'm, I'm kind of baffled as to why this machine is not. Maybe you have it set not to ring FaceTime calls. Uh, who knows? Which is possible. Yeah. yeah. I have my computer set not to ring for him. Um, no, if you, I'll, uh, if you launch FaceTime, you can, uh, go, yeah, let's not complicate things here. No, no, no. I, I, just so our listeners know. So if you launch on this Face, machine on any machine, if you launch FaceTime right now, I'm, I'm not speaking to you necessarily. I'm speaking to all of our listeners right. but to turn this off, launch FaceTime, uh, go into the FaceTime menu and choose preferences. Uh, you could simply actually right below preferences in the FaceTime menu is turn FaceTime off. So you could do that. 
But if you go into preferences and are on the first tab of settings, if you see ringtone there, you can choose what you want your ringtone to be. Now, uh, actually, there's no way to do a silent ringtone because you got to create one. That's right. I had to deal with that on, on mine. Well, I'll find a link in the show notes. Somebody talked through the process of creating and, and properly placing a, uh, a silent ringtone so that FaceTime doesn't keep doing what you just heard John's doing. So, uh, but you can turn FaceTime off just by doing uh, FaceTime, turn FaceTime off. That's okay. No. And that's why it didn't work on this yeah. machine because right now I logged into FaceTime despite my better judgment. Right. I've <laughs> been in the interest of the listeners and it says, oh, you're not logged in. Perfect. So that's why. And on my MacBook Pro, I'm set up to relay cell calls. So that's why that made all the noise. Oh, okay. So it wasn't FaceTime. It wasn't a FaceTime call. It was a, a call, a cell call on your phone that was... That it was a cell call Got it. going over to my phone or, yeah. or going over to my MacBook Pro and the phone was not making the noise. The MacBook Pro was making the noise. Got it. So. Cool. Hey, all right. One all right, last thing. One last, one last thing while we're, uh, uh, before we go and while we're on the subject, Andrew has, uh, well, he has something to share. So. Good day, John, and good day, Dave. It's uh, Andrew here uh, in Sydney, Australia. Um, got a cool stuff found or a good tip or something like that for you. Last weekend, I was at a sporting venue in Sydney, uh, the indoor arena where the uh, 2000 Olympic Games uh, were held, and it's about a 20,000-seat stadium. It was full, and I was on my iPhone 6 with 4G connectivity, and I couldn't, while I had five bars or five dots, I couldn't get an internet signal for, you know, for 4G. But people next to me who had iPhone 4Ss, um, they were able to get, you know, nice clear signals in and out of there and upload to Facebook and Twitter and all that while we're sitting there. But I couldn't, even though I had all these bars. And I thought, huh, what's going on here? I did my... Um, you know, uh, John Braun fist shake at my uh, service provider, which here in uh, Australia is called Optus. And so what I did, I thought, how come they're on 3G and getting reception and I'm on 4G and I can't get um, the internet? So I went into uh, uh, iPhone, into settings, into cellular or mobile, it might be in some countries. And you can actually choose what network you, you want to be on. You can be on 2G, 3G and 4G. So I took my iPhone 6 off 4G and put it on the 3G network and uh, bingo, um, I had speedy network uh, access. Obviously what had happened is that everyone was in the stadium on 4G, that network got clogged up, not as many people were on 3G, so that network was relatively empty, so I was able to get a good clear signal in and out and when I left the venue I just put it back on 4G. So the uh, tip or lesson there is if you're in a downtown or central business district which has got slow internet on 4g or in a sporting venue or a concert or something like that where you just can't get a good reception um switch it back from 4g down to 3g and you'll you, you should probably get uh, pretty good uh, connectivity and uh and that way you won't get caught you won't get caught out thanks boys see you later from australia bye thanks andrew yeah man so not every not Every iPhone's cellular settings section is going to be a little bit different based on your provider. Andrew is able to choose his network uh, in a far more granular way than I am. But I did. I went through exactly this when we would be sitting in the concert grounds in the campgrounds. The density wasn't too bad. And, and so we were always able to get, you know, an, L, an LTE signal. But in the concert grounds, it got really jammed up. 
And so a lot of times what I found myself doing was exactly what Andrew describes, at least in, in as far as I can with AT&T as my provider in the U.S., setting cellular on my iPhone. And then uh, on my 6 Plus, I have an enable LTE option. And for me right now, it's set to voice and data. But I can turn it off or I can turn it to data only, but that wouldn't have solved my problem. Setting it to off changes it to go to the 4G network as opposed to the LTE network. And at a lot of times I was able to then get a better signal and send, you know, some things out on, on Facebook or whatever, being able to drop to 3G would have been even better. But, um, but I guess with AT&T 3G and 4G these days are probably, well, no, it might be different still. I don't know. There were the AT&T's 4G was mm -hmm. never, you know, for they, they named things 4G even when they weren't really because 4G is really LTE, but you know, it's, it's a little different. So I would drop down to the three, to whatever, to what it calls 4G on, on AT&T and it, uh, and I could, I could get a better connection. Uh, so yeah, man, absolutely great advice. Very timely. In fact, so good stuff. Mm. Thanks, Andrew. My experience has been exactly the opposite. Okay. So I have Verizon and my iPhone 5S can get LTE which I guess we can call 4G sure. in general. Yep. It also gets 3G. I, I got to say, Dave, in the cases where I'm in a location, and this is Fairfield County, Connecticut, you know, pr pretty good coverage yep. uh, with Verizon. Whenever I see 3G and I try to access things, it's almost always a disaster. Huh. And sometimes I will actually go to the same menu that was mentioned here and go to the cellular menu and actually toggle uh, so there's two uh, things in the cellular menu. There's cellular data and enable LTE. And sometimes I will toggle the LTE settings in hopes that it will grab an LTE signal versus the 3G signal. Because a lot of times I find it just, it fails. Even though it says in, yeah. the, in, the, in the menu bar, it says 3G. Nope. There's, there's, it just kind of sits there and just kind of twiddles its thumbs and I get no data. You know, I go to web pages yeah. or whatever internet based service and it just doesn't work. Nothing. Because yeah. I think it's, it's probably the opposite situation that we just heard about. Sure. That 3G is so clogged that it, it's not working, whereas LTE is relatively unclogged or it's just faster. So, so you know, I can get through. But, sure. Um, yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. Yeah. And, you know, even sometimes uh, this weekend on the concert ground, if I turned off, I, I would put my phone in airplane mode. And leave it there for like 10 seconds and then pull it out of airplane mode and it would resync and I'd still get an LTE signal. But then suddenly it like the, you know, the bandwidth pipes just opened up and uh, and it all mm -hmm. worked. So that's yet another option to uh, to try here. It's good stuff. Well, I know it's special events. Sometimes AT&T and other companies will set up additional bandwidth. They will. They'll do mobile for stuff. you, the customer. Yeah, that's right. Yep. yep. And I hear the band. Oh, my gosh. It's time. Time man. just flies. This is a fun one. I like getting into that consulting stuff, and I know we have a lot of consultants who listen. So uh, hopefully, you found that valuable and not too off the path and crazy. So let us know what you think. Yeah, appreciate it. Although we That's wish good. there wouldn't be a need for what we do and what they do, there is. Oh yeah, there's a need. Because yeah. even though Apple's full of smart people, well, it things and even Microsoft with Windows Absolutely. 10. You know, have you tried Windows 10, Dave? I no. actually installed Windows 10 under Parallels. Nice. It's not horrible. It's not horrible. I want to check it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, it works. I mean, so one hats off to Parallels that you know Windows 10 
which is almost like OS X, except it's Windows. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I got it to run. There was a little hiccup there. There was a little tech support hiccup there, but even then, they uh, Parallels handle it properly. So uh, Nice. Yeah, I'm running Windows 10 in a VM, and uh, yeah, it's pretty. Let us, you know, let us know what you thought about this show, folks. Email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. Please. Please. <sighs> wow. Yeah. You know, I think I heard you right through this new board, Dave, with the crystal clear audio. I believe you said people should email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. I'm really impressed with your audio, actually, but I, I think it's feedback at macgeekgab.com, unless you are a premium subscriber, and then you get to email us at the priority address of premium at macgeekgab.com. And if you want to learn more about premium, please check it out at uh, macgeekgab.com. We'll explain a little bit more about it in depth in the next episode. I promise that. But uh, for this one, we'll keep moving on. 206-666-GEEK is the number you can call, regardless of whether you're premium or a regular, uh, just, you know, uh, I, I hate to say, I hate to use the word regular. I really do feel uh, an affinity towards everyone that listens. So, uh, so even if it, it, you're premium or not, we'll just leave it at that. You're all special because we're all doing this together. You can call that two zero six 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 geek number and leave us a message there if you want to. John, what's what's geek for for everybody that needs to know? Geek. Look at the keypad. Figure it out yourself, man. <laughs> Or it's 4335, for those of you that do not. Well, you know, I, I don't know, Dave. I mean, the kids these days, you know, all, all the young kids, they may not have a phone that has letters on the keypad. So we got to tell them these things, right? We'd love to get an iTunes review from you. Uh, in fact, we got one. The most recent one we got oh, yeah. was uh, Alistair87 from the UK, where he said, John and Dave always make the most complicated subjects easy to follow and are always informative for both beginners and geeks alike. The best Mac podcast there is. Thank you so much, Alistair. Yeah, please leave us an iTunes review. It uh, it really helps kind of just keep, keep things flowing on the show. So uh, we really appreciate oh, it. Oh, it gets us on the charts. It does. Yeah. So you can, you, uh, so we can all bask in the glory of being on the iTunes Cool Kids chart. That's right. Which is good for all of us. It it's is. It's good for us. It's good for me, Dave. It's good for you. And it's good for the listeners because it gets more people. Uh, uh, it's good for Cashfly, too, what we because do. it means that they get to download. Awesome. We get, they get to send more people the show. <laughs> and uh, Cashfly, they are the ones that provide the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. Yeah. I want to thank our sponsors again. Of course, Squarespace, as we mentioned, squarespace.com slash MGG. Your coupon code MGG gets you 10% off your first order there. So you got to check that out. MacPaw, great to have them on board. MacPaw.com slash MGG gets you 30% off of Clean My Mac 3. Uh, Casper, of course, at Casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG gets you 50 bucks off. All these deals just for you. Of course, our additional sponsors that uh, are part of the podcast marketplace here, Gazelle at Gazelle.com. Tunnelbear at Tunnelbear.com slash MGG. Amazing iamazing.com slash mgg smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek a little bit different there linda at lynda.com slash mgg use 10 days of free uh, access to their videos otherworld computing at maxsales.com and of course the great folks at barebones software at barebones.com 
I am glad to be back. Thanks for waiting uh, an extra day, actually an extra two days for us to get this show to you while I was having some fun uh, with Lisa camping and seeing fish and all that good stuff. So thank you for waiting. Next show will happen on Sunday. We'll be back on schedule. Have a great short week. I say it's short because it's Tuesday. It's not that the week itself is short. It's just the Mac Geek Gab week is short because the last one was long. Have a great week. Do me a big, big favor, though. Take care of yourself. Take care of your shoes. And whatever you do, don't get caught. Made up.